Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafu Shalema, for Haim Shalom Ben Altabrina, also for Haya Liora, Bas Daniela Hindalea, and also for La Ilu Nishmat Amnun Ben Nekadam. If you'd like to sponsor our podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I'm so happy to have on today's show, Rebitson Rivka Slatkin. Rebitson Rivka, along with her husband, Shlomo Slatkin, founded the Marriage Restoration Project as a global initiative to stop divorce. She has helped numerous couples restore their marriage and rediscover love again. That is so beautiful. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Sure. So that... I am so honored to be here, Vera. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. uh, I guess Shlomo and I started um, the Marriage Restoration Project, I would say 15, 16 years ago after our own marriage, our 20-year marriage, started having problems right in the beginning. Um, So we went on and decided to get some help from an amazing Imago therapist. And we had both heard about Imago therapy at two different times. I was like at a Shetelmacher and he was talking to someone else. And like, it was really great that we had heard about it at the same time. So we decided to explore and it saved our marriage in like the very first session. So, um, so our, our, our restoration project is it's saying stop divorce. That must've been an old tagline. I was very excited about it in the beginning. And of course, some cases, people make the decision to ultimately divorce. But we would love to be able to help promote consciousness and awareness about what really conflict is all about and how we view it as an opportunity for connection rather as a sign that you marry the wrong person. So. Wow, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. And we're going to dive right into this topic. (laughs) (laughs) I did. I did just that. Yes. Um, Yes. Thank you. Um, you do such incredible work helping couples reconnect. And I mean, when they first come to you, I imagine many couples are in fragmented relationships. And I want to start off by asking you, what are your thoughts on couples who sleep in different beds? I mean, this could be because one of the kids needs a parent to sleep with them. Maybe if they have a nightmare or if they're sick, it could also be because maybe the husband or the wife snores and it's hard for the other one to sleep. I mean, there's so many reasons that couples sleep apart. How does sleeping in separate beds affect a couple's relationship? Okay, so we're obviously not talking about like separate twin beds. We're talking about when like there's an issue that's causing people to not want to maybe sleep in the same room, I guess. So, okay, so I guess I view every interaction or rather Imago therapy views every interaction a couple has is, you know, is we want to always make sure that the space between the husband and wife is a clean connected space and there's no pollution in it so we always want to work out like what's cluttering up the space between if you can imagine like my husband right here so we always say the patient is not him or her it's the space between so if we can keep this space between us really nice and clean we can stay connected and we can have a great marriage so every interaction is either going to promote closeness or prevent closeness so of course if a kid is sick Obviously, there's so much illness going around, and sometimes we just need to sleep with our kids to just get a decent night's sleep because we need to sleep because that also causes so many problems. But if it's like extending, you know, and the snoring, and I and I realize it's a real issue and it's a real challenge, but at the end of the day, there's got to be something that the couple can do to foster closeness and connection so that this doesn't end up becoming just like an excuse or what we call an exit, meaning is the relationship connected or is it so disconnected that 
we make excuses or we have exits to exit the relationship. So, oh, I can't be with you right now. I have to be with the kids. Or, oh, I can't sleep with you because you snore. Or, oh, I can't live together with you because of X. Um, you know, is, is our decision ultimately going to lead to closeness or further distance? So I guess, you know, once the child is better, it would be wonderful to be able to start making the way back to the bedroom. If, you know, a spouse snores and it's really impossible and you've tried everything, tongue tie surgery and sleep apnea and adenoids and you've, and you've looked into all that, then perhaps you can at least spend time together in the bedroom before the night, you know, begins. Mm -hmm. And then, and then you can leave and sleep, I guess, in where you need to sleep. But I, you know, people, I guess, could question and ask themselves, am I doing this because it's uncomfortable to be around my partner and I don't want to be with him? So I'm like sort of looking for ways to escape mm -hmm. or is it genuinely just the snoring issue we've tried everything and i need a good night's sleep we'll spend time together we'll have a great time beforehand and then and then leave the room i really love that compromise because that brings the best of both worlds you really get to spend time together and connect to each other and also you get to have a good night's sleep yeah sleep does cause so much friction in a marriage and people often don't realize like because they're having babies and it's beautiful, but like really, I turn it into a psychopath. When I don't get a full night's sleep, I'm a mess. And and some people are living with no sleep like all the time. And so it's really something to get a hold of. It's much more important than maybe one might think. Right, right. Um, you know, this is very true. And you know what? I know um, that you were mentioning Imago therapy. I know what it is, but mm -hmm. just for the people who are not familiar, if you can give maybe like a brief uh, overview of what is Imago therapy. Sure. So excuse me. So Imago therapy started in the 80s when Dr. Harville Hendricks, the founder, was teaching a class in university on marriage and family therapy. And while he was teaching a class, his wife was serving him divorce papers. And he thought to himself, I'm such a hypocrite. How can I be teaching a marriage and family course when my own marriage is falling apart? So he decided I'm going to dedicate myself to do whatever it takes to find out why marriages, you know, the dream becomes the nightmare. So he did a lot of research. He's a brilliant man and he's wonderful um, to this very day. He's always learning new things. But he wrote his foundational book called Getting the Love You Want, which I highly recommend everybody listening read um, Getting the Love You Want. It is very, um, it's a full read. It's very scientific and, and lots of psychology. If you're looking for something a little bit um, more condensed, he recently came out with a book called Making Marriage Simple. And that's based on Imago. Um, so Imago means, in, in Latin, it means image, which essentially states that we are all looking to find somebody who is going to compose of the primary positive and negative character traits of our primary caretakers. Ultimately, we kind of, that what that means is we basically kind of marry our parents in a way. Mm -hmm. um, we marry the good things, we marry the not so good things. And why do we do that? Well, we don't do it consciously, but Hashem put it in place where we would be attracted to someone who's going to remind us of our old wounds from childhood so that we can actually re-trigger them and experience the pain all over again to get them right this time and to be able to heal them with our partner. So in a marriage, we bump up against each other because we're both triggering old memories and old wounds from childhood so that we can realize, okay, we understand more about what's going on, we can calm down and we can heal them ultimately. 
Oh my gosh, you're like right <laughs> on the head. That's exactly what I. That's what exactly what I know of imago therapy. And wow. Yeah, it's really <laughs> it more so spot amazing. on. It's so amazing, and it's so in line with Torah. Um, there's so many. My husband wrote a book called The Jewish Marriage Book, and it just he, there's so many parallels he brings out from Tanakh and Parsha and and the holidays about how it correlates to Imago's philosophies on marriage. Amazing. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Um, so, so bringing it back to the current situation and the current state of the world, I mean, since the onset of the coronavirus pandemic, husbands have been home more frequently because their offices are closed. So instead of going out to work, they are working from home. And so how has marriage changed since husbands are now more involved on the home front? So, you know, this can be a blessing for some and maybe not so welcome blessing for others. Um, you know, because we all had our routines and they were rudely interrupted. Um, and so, you know, for some, some will really welcome this and then others will really struggle. So the couple, it would really benefit them to really learn how to communicate about their preferences, their schedules, what they need from each other. You know, sometimes like it's easy to think, oh, my husband's home. I'll just give him the baby while I go shopping, while he like needs to do a work meeting on Zoom. And that doesn't always work out so well. So we, so the, so the key really is to communicate about what our needs are and to learn how to have those important conversations. Very, that's very, very smart. Exactly, because you can't assume just because your husband is home that he's going to take over the duties while you leave them with the kid. That's true. Exactly, and it's easy to assume. It's easy to think because in our world, it's like. He's home more. Why shouldn't he do the dishes? Why shouldn't he fold the laundry? Why shouldn't he take the baby? Like, it's easy to to assume and to think like, oh, in our world, this is what is reality. But he has, he is another person. We are not the same. He has his own world. And he might have been thinking like, oh, you know, I can finally accomplish the projects that I've been wanting to accomplish all these years. So it's important to cross the bridge and really hear each other. Right. Wow. It's a, yes, it's really, it's a great opportunity for communication. I totally agree. Yes. Um, and along this similar lines, I mean, there were new rules and new roles at home took place for many couples during the pandemic. So now with restrictions starting to ease a tiny bit and some offices opening up for business, how can couples best cope when things change yet again, as the world hopefully soon resumes a sense of normalcy? Yeah, so not to sound like a broken record, but it's really going to come down to communication. What, you know, what do they both believe? Maybe one person is nervous to go out, the other person's ready and totally ready to go out. So they have to really, not they have to, but it would be very beneficial to learn how to communicate and, and just, you know, during a quiet time, maybe say like, honey, you know, I'd really like to have a conversation with you about the new restrictions that are lifting and, and kind of like our vision for our family going forward, when would be a good time to speak? And then sort of making that appointment and asking, when can we have a time to talk about this and this new way forward so that you can both get on the same page with this new reality? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Open and honest communication. So this way, when people 
uh, try, trying to figure out what step comes next. They're really talking about it together and making those decisions together. And when you're communicating your needs, you're not expecting your spouse to guess what you want. And he's not expecting you to just know exactly what he's thinking. So it's really, really important. Yeah, it's really easy to guess. Um, you know, some people are more verbal than others. So it's really easy to assume and make guesses about what our partner might be thinking. And so asking um, and using our words instead of expecting mind reading is really helpful. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Um, and so this happens. This is a very interesting question. When one spouse is just going through the motions of daily living, going to work, going to the gym, going out with friends and things like that, while the other spouse really has a total change in their complete mindset and their complete purpose to life, and they're going in a different direction, how can couples still have a sense of purpose and how can they remain in alignment? So when you say one person's going about their daily business and one person has had a total transformation, how can you describe that a little bit more? Yeah, like one person is just just doing the do, just like they always did, just, you know, breakfast, work, um, come back home, um, dinner, TV, kids, bed. And the other spouse, maybe they've had some kind of a spiritual reawakening. Let's say maybe they want to be um, more observant, or maybe they discover a new passion in life and they take up a new hobby, or maybe they start a new job, or they go just go into another area of life that they weren't in before. Like they have like a complete shift in focus, you know? So this person's like alive and ready and passionate about life. And the other guy or the other woman, you know, is just just doing the do as they've always done. Sure, Sure. that's what I thought you meant. I just wanted to make sure I heard it. Um, Yeah, so it's a challenging thing because especially the person that's inspired and reawakened, you know, they want everyone around them to be inspired and reawakened. And they wanna be in this environment of growth and newness and, that can be very threatening and scary for the other person who might think, oh my goodness, like what is happening? Is my entire life about to get uprooted? So that's going to take them back to a very old and scary place, possibly from their childhood. And the person who's looking for newness and reawakening is also going to be taken to a very scary place in their mind because they might think, oh my gosh, I'm going to be stifled forever. I'm never going to grow. And that's going to remind them maybe of some old things from childhood. So number one, I would say be aware that even this quest for spiritual enlightenment could be coming out of, there's got there's something familiar about it that's old. So if, if someone were, were really to become self-aware, they might realize this is a pattern or this is something they've experienced before. So they need to understand that it could really be threatening for the other person. And so it's important to learn to be patient, really patient, and to also realize that true self-growth means that you have accepted people for where they are. So accepting the husband or the wife and realizing like they're not necessarily where I am or as inspired as I am. And true self-growth means you still accept them for who they are. You don't expect that they're gonna be just like you and love the same things you love. Um, and it's really um, sometimes disappointing to, to, feel, to learn that because like I said, when we're inspired, we want everyone around us to be inspired. So it can feel like the other person is raining on the parade. But remember that the other person has their own story of fear and, you know, other emotions. My husband actually wrote an article, I think it's on the Huffington Post website, called, um, oh, goodness, it's something about self-growth, self-enlightenment, self-enlightenment, um, and it really talks about 
that true self-growth is accepting people where they're at. That's hard. That is, is hard. really, really hard. It is really hard. I can say that um, over the years, my husband Shlomo and I for sure have pushed, pulled each other in those ways where maybe, you know, he's really excited about a new safer or a new, I don't know, path that he wants to take. And I'm kind of like, oh, is this going to change everything I've already done? Or I get really excited about something and I'm like, come on, you got to see why it's so great. And he's just kind of like, oh, not this again. So it's really, it's, it's, it's very hard. Um, but like I said, you know, that's why marriage counseling in a way or marriage work is not as exciting and fun as like going on a yoga retreat or going on a meditation retreat or doing all this self-work because it's around, self-work is basically around the self. It's kind of selfish in a way. It's all about the person doing the work. Marriage work where you're actually considering another person and considering that they have their own story and their own reality, that's not as dare I say the word sexy like there that's not as fun because it's so fun to be able to be like oh I'm going on a five-day silent meditation retreat like it's all about me um and it's it's hard but yeah it's definitely hard and I guess the little bit of advice I I have is that if you can slow your brain down and you can learn how to have a connected conversation with your partner without um interjecting or butting in or pulling teeth, then you might find that your spouse is actually just as enlightened if, as you are, if not even more so, and a bit grounding for you. And it's actually very exciting to find out, like, they're not the drag that I thought they were. It just <laughs> might have seemed like that, but they have their own truth. And it's ex sometimes can be very exciting to get to know that person's truth. Um, and the only way to really do it is if we sort of put a pause on our own self and our desire, you know, to, to go more into the self, but get cured, like almost like getting curious, like who is this person and, and what matters to him and what's important to him and, and what does he love? What is he passionate about? It's exciting to find those, those out. That is really exciting. Um, it's so interesting about getting curious about your spouse because you, you think like, I live with the same person, I don't know, 17, 18, 25 years. What don't I know? Exactly. There really is a lot that you don't know. And I was actually talking to a friend about this the other day. And she said, you know, um, there's this deck of cards called Table Talk. There are a variety of different cards, but this particular one I happen to have is called Table Talk. And they're just little cards with questions on it. Like, if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it? Or um, what's more difficult for you, eating healthy or exercising? Just right. different conversation starter questions. And your husband may answer questions differently than you might think that they he would have answered. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such a fun exercise. I actually wrote a journal. It's available on Amazon. It's called the, the, the Relationship Vision Couples Reconnection Journal. And it's kind of like what you're saying. It's a pass back and forth journal where you can ask each other questions and get to know each other. And then based on the answers, you almost can formulate your joint mission statement for your couplehood. And it's, it's, there's different levels of questions. So there's easy questions, then there's a little bit more difficult questions, and then there's harder questions. And you get to almost see your spouse from a new pair of fresh eyes. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing when couples can do that. Instead of thinking, oh, I know that I know his childhood. I know him. Like, would you say that to a friend? Like, oh, I've been friends with the same friend for 35 years. Would you say, I know everything about her? No, it's, it's different. So 
So getting curious and realizing that even though you're you're married, you're really still married to a whole nother world. So it's kind of cool. This is that is really cool. Actually, it's something good, it's something exciting to keep in mind. You know. Yes. Um, and I know you know there are some couples who really do need to go to therapy. They need that extra, you know, that extra bit of support, that extra bit of guidance. So. Sometimes one spouse is a little bit reluctant to go into therapy while the other one is more gung-ho and excited about it. If somebody has like a spouse who's a little bit reluctant to go into therapy, what can they say or how can they, I want to say convince them or encourage them, let's say, to go to therapy? Okay. So number one to know, like they have a very valid reason usually for not wanting to go to therapy because either you went before and you had a bad experience where maybe the therapist was very judgy and they took a side or maybe it was just a very emotionally unsafe experience for that person so number one is like really knowing that they have a valid perspective and they have a right to maybe feel hesitant number two to know it's very normal there's usually always a dragger and a draggy like we always, there's always somebody that's more excited and more wants to go and learn and then there's always someone who's going to be more fearful and it's not always the man it can be the woman too my husband is the one that actually dragged me to go to therapy i didn't want to go wow um yeah and i finally did um and i'm so glad we did because that's what put us on this trajectory but i didn't want to go and it's very normal so you know knowing that and now I just lost my train of thought. But, oh, what you can say to help put them at ease would be, honey, I know that I haven't been the best spouse. Or I know, and, and keep it like I statements, I know I'm not easy to live with. I really want to become a better wife or more supportive spouse for you. I found something I think can help us. Would you be willing to join me on my journey as I learn and take responsibility for how I am in our relationship? And so that way you're taking responsibility. It's about you. It's not like I want to go to therapy because our marriage is horrible and you are a jerk. (laughs) Because, you know, someone's not going to be so receptive to hearing that. So if you can help put them at ease and really keep in mind about how you speak. Are you speaking in a way that is um, taking responsibility or more shaming and more blaming? So in Imago, well, Shlomo and I call our practice the no shame and no blame. Um, Well, we run retreats, so we call them the no blame and no shame couples retreats. And it's teaching couples how to speak in a way that eliminates blaming and shaming, which would be name calling, accusations, and sometimes just learning that one thing is like life changing. So, wow, yeah, it's true. Yeah, because a lot of times couples attack each other, and that's never productive. Right. It's not going to help you ultimately get what you want, which is your husband to come to therapy. So, you know, even though I might, it might sound like I'm, I'm asking you to take all the blame, because obviously it always takes two. Um, it's not, it's not that you're taking all the blame. It's that you're finding the parts that you can take responsibility for and show up for and then helping put them at ease. So he can maybe be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I go along with you. If you want to explore, if you want to explore your role in our marriage or you want to explore yourself, like it it puts them at ease a little bit more. I can't promise it's going to work, but that's often what we say is, you know, I, I would really like to learn how to become more of a supportive spouse to you. Would you come with me on, on the journey to learn how to do that? 
And that is beautiful. That is beautiful. Yeah. And uh, before we go, I just want to give like couples just uh, more hope. I want to give the couple strength and his. So I want to see if maybe you can share with us maybe an anecdote or two, either about from your personal life or from one of the clients um, that you work with um, about how marriage therapy really works, like taking like a real problem situation and couple like a couple who has worked through it and really come out successful and have gone on to have a happy marriage. Sure. We see it all the time. Um, our practice is a little bit different, I will say, because we don't do weekly counseling. Mm -hmm. We believe a couple, it's kind of like when you take your car in, right? And the engine lights on and you're like, okay, take it to the mechanic. And you're like, okay, fix it. And he's like, wait a minute. Like I need to do a full diagnostic. Like I need to look under the hood, spend hours looking at this car to tell you exactly what's wrong. So we um, sort of have a similar philosophy where we see couples for two days, either privately or in a group setting. We have a group coming up in March in Baltimore where couples can participate online. So it's two full days. I'm going to say between six to eight hours a day. Mm -hmm. The private ones are six, eight, six hours. We spend six hours a day with a couple um, looking at everything. We think about our childhood. We think about so many things we look at the dynamic of what's going on and we help them learn no blame no shame communication and after the two days couples come out with so much hope and so much hope that their marriage could be different because when they walked in they thought like you said before i'm married to this guy 30 years i already know everything that's going on what's going to change right but after the two days they're like oh my gosh i never realized that when i get mad at him for leaving the toothpaste cap off, it reminds me of when I was a kid, when nobody did anything for me and I had to do everything myself. And I feel totally unsupported and uncared for, right? So when we can help people get conscious about their triggers, they have a new awakening. And then after the retreat, then we offer follow-up sessions where like typical marriage counseling sessions. So this, you know, this is what happens in my own marriage, this happened you know, the very first time we went and I learned, I was complaining all about how I felt like I had to do all the chores. I had to do the dry cleaning and fix things and da, 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 da. And I was just nagging, Shlomo, why don't you fix this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And when I finally learned where it was coming from, I was able to become a lot more conscious as a person and our whole dynamic shifted. And we see couples able to do this married 30, 40, 50 years, married several times to several different people, finally get it with this kind of approach. Wow. And this yeah. is the, the Imago therapy approach. Imago. Yeah. And specifically our retreat model, which I don't know. Most Imago therapists actually, most therapists don't do what we do, but we specialize in marriage counseling intensives. Um, like that deep look under the car hood to find out what's really going on. And um, can you let everybody know like how they can find you the name of your practice and how yes. they Yes. They can visit the marriage restoration project.com. It's a little bit long, but themarriagerestorationproject.com and has all the information of our upcoming retreats on there and any um, private intensives we offer. And of course, anyone can contact us through text, email, um, phone call. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. Wonderful. I will include the link in the description of the podcast. So um, okay, you can find it there. But thank you so much, Rebbits and Rivka, for being on America's Top Rebbits. We really, really enjoyed having you here. And I think we really learned a lot today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. And may all the learning we did today be for Fushalema, for Haya Leora Bas Daniela Hindalea, for Haim Shalom Ben Altabrina, and also for La Ilu Nishmat Amnun Ben Nekadam. Thank you so much. Amen. Sure. Take care. Thank you.